This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Thank you, Mr. Kelly. And folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. We'll be taking the, no, I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But right now, you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with questions, comments, or concerns. So, I mean, I've never heard like a gentleman in the last hour saying, if you think you've been in poison ivy and you're allergic to it, uh, using Clorox. Wow, that's a new one totally on me. And thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call and we can talk about the ups and downs and all arounds of annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. Speaking of lawns, Lawns in general, they want a slightly acidic soil. So the ideal circumstance for your lawn would be about a pH of 6.5. So below 7 is acidic. So a female's dog urine is probably, you know, maybe 7 or maybe 8. So that's why it's burning holes. So you definitely do not want to change the pH and make it higher So what you need to do is just make sure, maybe get your soil tested and find out what the pH is. That's not going to make it so the dog urine doesn't cause these problems, female dog urine. Anyway, but please remember my answers, comments, and concerns is strictly and not the only garden path to take, but offered as an option for you to consider. Greg is, you know, producing today, so he's keeping everything coordinated. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my email address and phone number, and you can contact me. So, And uh, tip of the trial, special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. Today's tip of the trial goes to a couple different organizations. The National Garden Clubs, Inc., are, are located here in St. Louis. They're right on the grounds with the Botanical Garden. They're actually, let's see, I guess that would be on the east, the, no, the south side of the Botanical Garden grounds. They've had a lot of construction on the outside of it lately. I haven't been over there, you know, late, you know, I shouldn't say lately, but they had it. They were redoing the parking lot and all kinds of other things. So I'm going to have to maybe take a good gardening stroll there next week and take a look at it. But anyway, they've been around since 1929. And what they've done is they, every year they announce winners of their highest honor, and that's the, the Award of Excellence. So the National Garden Club's 2018 Award of Excellence winners are Paul B. Redmond. He's the president and chief executive officer of Longwood Gardens, which is in Kennett Square, Pennsylvania. George Lon Gnecker, and he's a landscape architect and founder of the West Virginia Botanic Garden near Morgantown. And Jack Wood, he is the co-founder of Growing Together, the largest community garden program in Fargo, North Dakota. So those are the war, uh, the award winners of the National Garden Club, which is here in St. Louis, headquartered here, 
for 2018. Also, a tip of the trial goes out to Janet. Janet lives in Highland, Illinois. I was over there to do a walk and talk, and I was so impressed with her vegetable garden, her tomatoes. She grows Roma tomatoes, quite a few, actually. I said, you must love marinara sauce. She said, yes. And so her tomatoes were spectacular. Now, her husband, he's into Roma you know, tomatoes or marinara sauce, but also he likes hot peppers. And her plants were nothing but spectacular. So in the garden, and so a tip of the trial goes out to Janet, and she lives in Highland, Illinois. Also, next week, there's going to be two different events. On June 9th, the Monroe County Garden Tour is going to hold the garden tour in Columbia, Illinois. And, and tickets are available at, Monroe, at the Monroe County office, which is located in Waterloo. Also next week, there is a new free community event which will educate children about what's outdoors and how to play safely. So it's a whole you know, concept of teaching kids about the outdoors so they weren't dumb like me you know, growing up. We didn't have anything like this. That's why I got all the hornet stings on my head because I was messing around in the woods and got you know, disturbed a ground hornet nest or all the times I got poison ivy and everything else. So they're going to take a look at not only that kind of thing, but you know, aquatic life, reptiles, birds of prey, various different things. And this is going to be held at, let's see, at the ball fields at the St. Louis, St. Lucas United Catholic Church. And that's on Denny Road. So that's going to be next week. If you want more information about that, you can go to facebook.com slash what's outdoors slash. So there's going to be all kinds of different organizations going to be doing things there as well. So tip of the trial to four different organizations today. Well, three organizations and then Janet, who is just an excellent gardener. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, be back after these messages. KMOX is the weather station. Get the forecast here every 10 minutes, mornings and afternoons with weather bulletins at once on the voice of St. Louis. KMOX. Are you ready for some one-stop shopping for your home? Whether it be lamps, pictures, mirrors, accessories, or accent tables, Brody's Lamps has it in stock. Brody's has been in business for over 86 years and is the largest lampshade dealer in the Midwest. Bring in your lamp for the perfect lampshade. Located on Big Bend between Highway 40 and Manchester, Brody's is the go-to place for lamps and accessories. Call 647-3318 or better yet, stop in and see the beautiful array of choices for your home. Guess what, folks? You know, we're putting mulch down to the benefit of our plant material. But also there's an aesthetic value to mulch, a personal aesthetic value. So St. Louis Composting, they have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and then various colors. So they have probably 15 different types of mulch. Some of them are different colors. Some of them are different textures. Some are this, that, and everything else. So that gives you an option or an opportunity to pick what you want. They have samples when you go inside. And you can say, well, I don't really like this one. But what do you think? You can ask them which is going to be the best mulch for you. St. Louis Composting, they're willing and they want to take time with you to make sure you're getting the product you want. Whether it's mulch, whether it's a blend of compost and soil, or anything else, they are there for you. Yes, they're a business. There's no getting around it, but they're there for you. St. Louis Composting has locations in Valley Park. That's headquarters. Belleville, that's the largest. Maryland Heights, the city of St. Louis, Fort Bell Fountain, and Pacific Facility. St. Louis Composting for all your organic needs. 
all your organic needs. No chemicals added, nothing. It's organic. And there are higher levels of organic within the organic. That's another thing they do. So St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The website, www.stlcompost.com. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, let's go to St. Louis County, and that's where Diane lives. Hi, Diane. Thanks for hanging on. Hi. Thanks for your help here. Uh, My question relates to the watering of grass seed. Our neighborhood has had road construction, so they've been replacing the concrete pads and curbs. So now that they did that, uh, the strip of grass next to the curb, I don't know, one to six inches wide, uh, is the area where they took out the soil and grass they have just now put in. Um, some soil back there and spread grass seed on it, I think, day before yesterday. So I do have a sprinkler system. I do have a zone that is just that um, uh, strip of grass between the sidewalk and the curb. But I'm wondering how often to water it and for how long, given the heat right now? (laughs) (laughs) To be honest with you, you're going to have a difficult time. You said it's only six inches wide? No, 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 the part that they cut out. Oh, I mean, my grass verge is probably four feet wide, um, but the part next to the curb where they had to cut out the grass and soil and stuff to get their foundation forms, that varies now where it's bare and has grass seed. That varies to about six inches wide. Okay, so, you know, you're not going to have really great success with this because the soil they probably brought back in is not great soil. Yeah, so, no, it wasn't. I, I did put some potting soil on top of it. Well, well you, you should, should get you should get some compost and mix it up with this existing soil. And first of all, rake all that straw off. I'm assuming they put straw. No, they didn't. Oh, oh good. good. Wow. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, so rake, you know, improve the soil with some compost. Don't worry about the seeds that's there. And just go ahead and then get some seed. And then once you get some new seed... You know, I don't know what kind of lawn that you have, whether it's a fescue or whether it's a bluegrass or whether it's zoysia. Zoysia, you don't buy seed. You buy actually sod. But anyway, get the seed, and what you're going to have to do for the first 14 days or so after you put the seed down in the improved soil is water it every day. And some, if it's really hot, it may be a couple times a day just to keep it damp. Once it germinates, then you cut back on the amount of watering you do. Then you only water every couple days. Then after about a month or six weeks or so, then you can just assume if the grass is coming. It's not going to be thick or anything like that, regardless of what you do, soil improvement-wise. Then you're going to go, you know, then you can change it over to doing, you know, the watering for longer periods of time, only one or two times a week. I see. Okay. So, and is this going to hurt the rest of that uh, patch of grass? Up to the sidewalk? You mean as far as like getting that much water on the, you know, the part that's seeded? Right, the part that's already established. Yeah. It's, the same amount of water. It could have, you know, an impact a couple inches into the established lawn area because it's hard to, or it's very difficult just to water in a narrow strip six inches long. Oh, right. No, I mean, I've got, to, I've got to water that whole four-foot area. Right. Um, so oh, so you're going to water, you're just going to turn on your irrigation system and then water everything that happens to be in that area. Right, that zone. Uh, you could really end up with some major fungus problems. Oh. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, should I sort of give up on the seeded areas so as not to damage the rest of my life? I would, that's what I would do. And then I'd wait until fall, and then that's a much better time to put the seed down than it is to do it this time of year. Okay. So, 
because otherwise watering once or twice a day for a couple of weeks would probably damage that. You are kidding. kidding. Yes. yes. Uh, okay. I'm so glad I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> well, glad I could help, and thanks for hanging on. Thank you. Yep. yep. And now let's go to Gary, and Gary lives in Imperial. Hi, Gary. Hi. How are you today? Very good. Um, I had gotten a couple of hydrangeas for my wife for Mother's Day, and now I want to plant them in the yard. I'm trying to figure out the best place to, to do it. Part of it says uh, partial sun. Uh, what is partial sun and what is partial shade? Is it amount of time or is it a uh, constant cover, uh, like under a tree or something like that? That's kind of what my question is. And I had gone down to our favorite place down in Fenton and gotten some uh, Missouri botanical soil and how to uh, transplant the uh, size of the hole, how deep. Um, I live in Jefferson County, so the, the soil is very clay and rocky. Right. Um, and, um, like how big and deep and how much, uh, uh, soil should I, you know, the, the Missouri, uh, botanical compost, should I mix in with that to, to give it the best, uh, success? Okay. First of all, you want the hole three times the diameter of the root ball, but only 80% as deep. So in other words, you want the top of the, you know, the crown of the plant. So that's where the stems and the root system meet slightly higher than the surrounding ground. If you okay. don't do that, then you got some real, tr- real trouble because there may be settling. So, and you want to have the hole wide because lateral root growth is what's most important. Probably about uh, you know maybe thirty or forty percent mix in with you know the the comp- the soil mixture that you have with the existing soil, and uh, just as far as you know exposure wise. Depending upon what variety of hydrangea these are, some of them can take a lot more sun. But if this one, if this one is saying, you know, just it only wants part sun, you know, slash part shade, don't put it too close. Don't put them too close to trees because they're going to be competing with tree roots. The shade of a building is not too bad, except with the shade of a building, sometimes the alkalinity of the concrete causes real problems. So that's, you know, you got a little bit of a trouble, but you just want to make sure that the hydrangea, just in general, if it says part shade, doesn't have any sun between like 11 and 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. That would be the ideal circumstance. Okay, what type of uh, or any uh, fertilizer or feed should I give for it? Nothing right now. Let it get established. Then you're going to use an acid-based fertilizer after that. Okay. All right. And no pruning on these. You can cut off the spent flowers, but people are really screwing up their hydrangeas by you know pruning too much. So you're better off to leave them alone. But the flower bracts, you know, when they're finished, those brown things, some people don't mind them, some people don't like them, but just cut the tips of the branches off. Okay. All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming to my show. Sure, <laughs> I appreciate. It. And George in San- Sunset Hills. Hi, George. Hey, how you doing? Very good. I, I listen to your show. I tell you, it's a big, big help to me. Uh, I just realized this is probably the same question, but I do what you say. Walk around my yard, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, everything will look fine, robust. And then, like this morning, I went out there, walked around, and I got brown spots in my boxwoods, uh, some of my roses, uh, the uh, flowers are already falling off, uh, some of the other flowers, are they were like two days ago, they were great, now now they're dying back already, 
Uh, I planted five blue spruces in the yard, and all of them are going gangbusters, except one of them keeps uh, the the stems keep browning. So I guess what I'm looking for is maybe a manual or a book or something I can use to help me, you know, decipher what's going on here. Well, you got a lot. Probably a lot of this is related to our weather, to be honest. So, I mean, the plant materials out there and they're facing all this crazy high humidity, high heat and everything else where we missed really spring. I mean, we had er very early spring and then we jumped from very early spring to summer. And it's been, uh, you know, a lot of you know hard times for basically a, a lot of different kinds of plant material, even well-established plants, as well as newly installed plant material. But as far as, you know, anything, you know, that's going to, uh, you know, answer all the questions that you have, the roses should be dropping the petals. They should have already, you know, I mean, they've been on there for a couple, you know, like probably three or four weeks. So, I mean, that's, a, that's about all they last. And so they may okay. be putting out new flower buds. As far as your spruce goes, if you've got branches that are, you know, kind of browning, it's a, you know, it's a question of like, well, maybe this particular one out of all of them, it's, you know, has sunk a little bit, water sitting there around it or something along that line. Or even though they look great and equal when they're purchased and installed, sometimes they're just not all equal. And that's kind of, that could be your problem with that. And flowers, you know, with our heat and everything else, that could send them, you know, downhill pretty quick. Now, is there such a thing? Now, I use, like, around the trees and stuff, I use these Job's plant spikes. Right. Is there such a thing as over-fertilizing? Yeah, you should, you know, the plant spikes... You know, you got to put them out at the perimeter. So, in other words, around the tree where the tree branches directly below the end of the tree branches, that's where the feeder roots are. Up close to the tree, that doesn't do any good at all. Oh, good. Okay. Okay. And then I use, you know, I water, uh, you know, I I water pretty often, but uh, at least once a week I use that liquid miracle grow. Uh, Can I overdo that? It depends upon the individual plants. If it's your lawn, definitely you can do it. If you've got a cool season lawn like a fescue or a bluegrass, you don't want to fertilize those in the spring or in the summertime at all because you cause major fungus problems. But on the other plant material, uh, once a week seems a little bit extreme. But if you've had pretty good success, you know, unweather related, then if you've had success in the past, then I'd say you know stick with your system. Okay. Very good. All right. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, and thanks, George. And now let's go to Jeff in Bridgeton. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Mike. How are you? Very good. I've got a couple of things going on. I'm trying to help my neighbor. He's older, and he can't take care of his yard anymore. So I got back there, and, I mean, I started hacking away. And his wife, she's no longer with him, and she had planted hydrangeas in the middle, which I didn't even know this until I got in and started clearing stuff out, and they're all dead. Ooh. You know what I mean? They're just brown. Right. They're tall. They're there. They're dead. Uh, I don't know how long they've been dead, you know? <laughs> uh, and then the spurea that he's got there is, like, going wild. So I've got to do something. I'm getting rid of all the, the uh, mulberry trees that are growing, all that stuff. You know what I mean? And right. I don't know what to do in that circle area. They were his wife that she planted. I kind of like to try to save as much as I can back there. So what do you suggest? Do I cut them all the way down? I heard you just don't do that, but then they're dead. Will they come back? 
basically if they don't if you have hydrangeas in there for whatever reason and they have no foliage on them at all, they're gone. They're dead. Okay. So they're get dead. rid of them. Just dig them up. Get rid of the root system. And then selectively okay. take some of the things out, like you've said, the mulberry trees and that kind of stuff, and just let right. anything that's robust, like the spireas, leave it so he can, you know, have sort of a memory of his wife. Yeah, that spirea is going pretty crazy, though. You know what I mean? Can't, I, I, I mean, I need to contain it to within that, like, eight, nine, ten-foot circle of stones. You, right. you know what I'm saying? Sure. So how do I – can I use a hedge trimmer on that stuff? What, how do you – you know – can I cut it back? How low can I cut it back or how far? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Basically, is it in flower now or is it already finished flowering? You know, it's sickly looking. I, I can't really remember because uh, I was, you know, there's so much back there. I'm hacking right. away. I found his air conditioning unit. You know what I'm saying? I got that all cleared oh, wow. out and stuff. So, you know, it's just overgrowth. It's a it's a couple of week process here. Right. I you would know? say so, if, if it's this wild and crazy, I would just, you know, I would cut about half of it off. And just see what happens, because it sounds like this is just going to be utter chaos regardless of what you do. Right, right. And, and, okay, great. The, the other question I had is, I've got two cherry trees that I planted. All right? I just wanted cherries. I don't know nothing about that, but I put them in the ground. And then I read they have to cross-pollinate, possibly. Right. Some don't, some do. So I bought the second one thinking, okay, I guess I'll stick another one in in case you're supposed to pollinate. Well, it's strange. One tree is almost like a a dogwood kind of tree. When it's little, you know what I mean? It's got more limbs on it. The other cherry tree is growing straight up as, as can be, and then the limbs are coming out straight. You know what I mean? I mean, like at an angle, but they're not bushy like you see in Michigan or anything like that. Now, I've never gotten flowers on it so much. This year I got some flowers on mm-hmm. both of them, and I actually got like a half a dozen cherries on one and some on the other one, but they kind of dried up. So is this? I planted um maybe six seven years ago. One's growing really good, the other one not so fast. So what I'm asking is, do I? You can't. Do I prune that tall, skinny one, or just let them grow? What I would just leave them alone. And cherries are not really a good fruit tree for this region. Right, but I wanted them. Yeah, <laughs> well that's fine. So I would just leave them alone. Stop worrying about them okay. and let them. Whatever happens, happens. All right. Cool. Perfect. All right. I'll, I'll probably be calling you on this yard that my, my neighbor has. Okay, great. Because uh, I'll need some help. Thanks, Mike. Sure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. We're headed up along the river road to Pontoon Beach into Larry's yard. Hi, Larry. How you doing today? Very good. Hey, um, I got a cottonwood tree. Is there any way to kill that, just the cottonwood part of it? I don't want to kill a tree. <laughs> Not really. I mean, there's injection things, but with the cottonwood, uh, the injection things, uh, you know, basically what the cottonwood is, those seeds that are floating all over the place, you know, that is seed. It had to flower before the seeds come. You can inject, you know, things into the tree that prevent the flowering circumstance. But if this is a substantially large tree, it's not going to do anything at all. So, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. There's really nothing that can, you know, happen. I mean, some years it's really prolific the amount of, you know, seed it releases. I mean, we have we're not even really all that close to them, but we can have a coating the outside of our air conditioner. So I have to go out there and wash the air conditioner off. Oh, it's killing me. Yeah, it's killing me. Right. Uh, about three days in a row. Ooh. It's actually, 
I just I just moved to next door to my daughter, and it's my it's my daughter's tree, and and it's like snowing, man. I tell you what, I um, I built a I built I had to build a garage. It didn't have a garage on the house, and uh, and it just covered the floor, and I couldn't. I'm trying to seal the floor, and I'm getting all. <laughs> he said, he said, well, he said, I think there's some way to kill the the kill the, the that part of it, but I don't want to kill the tree. Yeah, said, the injection. Well, I'll, I'll call, I yeah. said, I'll call Mike. He'll know. Yeah, the injection systems are basically developed for, like, you know, smaller fruit trees and things like that to prevent the flowering. But on a large tree, it's not going to work. Oh, it's it's large. It's very large. Yeah, so it's you. Yeah. You're, right. this is unfortunate, but there's nothing you can really do. All right. All right. I guess I have to deal with it. Yep. <laughs> I, I put a, I put a uh, maybe a 50-foot privacy fence between us. <laughs> I build our, a wall. Yeah, our giant fan. <laughs> Yeah, build a wall, and Trump can pay for it. <laughs> All right, thanks, Mike. Yeah, thank you. And, yeah, Tracy and I were just up in your area. We went up to the flea market in Grafton, you know, last week. And so right. it was a great ride up the river road. So oh, thanks, it is. Larry. It's beautiful up there. It's yep. beautiful up there. Thank you, Mike. Yep, and now let's go to Belleville into Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hello, Mike. Hi. I have a question about, I believe we have an arborvitae that is probably 30-plus years old, mm. and it's it's about six foot tall. And this year we've noticed that it has these, it's about the size of a pea, and it's um, light green. If you hold it from the bottom, it's got like little, it looks like a star. I'm wondering, is that um, new growth that maybe with the maturity of the, of the bush or the plant that... Um, they're just showing up now, or is that some kind of insect? If I open it up, it looks like a little white seed inside of it. Right. Basically what this is, is when you think about pine trees and pine cones, this is the arborvitae pine cone. Okay, but it just took that long before we've seen it. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's a maturity factor. It's like with fruit trees, sometimes you have to wait for a considerable amount of time, five-plus years, before you start getting, let's say, enough fruit on it to make any difference. Right. So it took right. this long okay. to get established, so it had the energy to produce these, you know, the seeds, the cones, arborvitae cones. Okay, well, great, because I was hoping that it wasn't an insect, because no. it's just covered with it, with this snow. <laughs> so that's good to know. Yes. Okay, appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. Enjoy it. And now let's go north into Jerry's yard, into Florissant. Hi, Jerry. Hello. Yeah, I got a Calanthus and a Peony, and uh, they're they're greening up, but I've got no blossoms. Did I miss out this year, or will I get some? Did you not? Did you have peony flowers last in the you know in the past? Yeah, I've had them the last two years in both of them. Yeah, that's. Uh, why you didn't get flowers this year? Because the peonies were prolific in most places I saw. So it must have just been the exposure, you know, where your yard is and everything else, that when they flower, because, I mean, there's so there's not even a bud on the end of the leaves in the peony? No, it's just, just green leaves. Uh, so it must have, you know, got messed up due to weather, and that's, you know, it happened to both of them. But it's, it's not a late bloomer, so I'm out. I yeah, guess. right. If it's, It wouldn't be blooming, you know, past this. I mean, okay. it, the weather can change things, but it's not going to change it to the point where something that normally blooms in May is going to all of a sudden bloom in June. That's usually not the case. I'll just look at the green stuff, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, and the next time they do flower, make sure you take a selfie with them so if this happens again, you can have a picture of you and the flowers. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Bye. Yep. And now let's go to Dave and DePere. Hi, Dave. 
Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Good. I have some oak trees that I want to do some planting under, and I want to improve the soil. And um, I want to know how much uh, material I could add on top of the soil under the oak trees without, you know, affecting the, the root system of the oak trees. This is going to be a tough one, to be honest with you, because first of all, don't, you know, don't pile up anything really close to the trunk because you don't want to, you know, put moisture to do whatever you're going to improve the soil with, uh, right. you know, up on the trunk. So start about halfway out from the trunk to the drip line, the furthest extension of the branches, and just put one or two inches of, you know, a good compost topsoil mix, blend it in with the existing soil, and just kind of keep your fingers crossed. Okay. Seriously. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a tough one. You know, it's, uh, you don't know if it's going to work out. So you want to work it into the soil, but you don't want to get a, some kind of giant rototiller in there that may tear up the oak leaves or oak root systems because that's going to create problems. So it's just going to be kind of gentle, you know, take a look and, you know, just get lucky. Yeah, well, I was just going to really kind of till up the first, inch or inch and a half of soil and then add the other stuff and, and mix it up a little bit, I, but I don't want to damage right the, the feeder roots of the oak. Exactly. So. And they're all within the top 15 inches. That's what a lot of people don't understand. There are roots that go deeper, but they're strictly anchoring. Feeder roots are right at near the surface. So your combination of you know what you wanted to do sounds just right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to, let's see, do we need to take a break? Yeah, let's take a break, and then we'll come back and go to Dolores in Highland, Illinois. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, I want to thank Tina Spivey for coming in and getting some information to me that I needed. So she made a special trip. She's air traffic control. Or I don't know about air, but she's traffic controller. So anyway, let's go over to Highland, Illinois, and see what's going on with Dolores. Hi, Dolores. Oh, good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, thanks for your program. But I have a question. My knockout roses bloom very, very good this year. Mm -hmm. Now, do I have to take them where the buds were and the flowers were? Do I need to cut them off to get a second bloom? You don't have to, but aesthetically, I do it myself. I go down... To, you know, there's usually like a cluster of three or four flowers yeah. grouped together. I go down along the stem until I get to like the first or second leaflet that has five leaves. Okay. And that's, I do that. In theory, you don't have to do it, but I've just, you know, I've played around with them a little bit in the last couple of years that I've had them. And I just think they look better if you do it. That's a personal call. It's not essential. Well, I know I have a friend that does that. And then I have another friend. Oh, no, I leave them all on, she right. said. So it's personal. Okay. Thank you, Mike, so much. Certainly. And also, but remember with the roses you need, now this first flush is over, give them some rose food. They're going to do a lot better for you. Phyllis is in O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Phyllis. Well, hi, Mike. I'll tell you what. This is an old wives' tale that I heard that when you plant hydrangeas or even after they're planted, if you put rusty nails in the ground, in the dirt, that that'll help with the color of the hydrangea? Uh, well, it all depends. You know, I would, you know, rusty nails are fine. I don't know if nails rust anymore, but, I mean, that's a good insight. But if you've got one that you're trying to, you know, get colored, you can just go to your favorite garden center and get aluminum sulfate, and that will, you know, do the coloring too. 
I think that'd be easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, a bucket well, of rusty nails. My, my dad used to do that. We had hydrangeas in the backyard mm-hmm. up in North St. Louis, and he faithfully always put, I mean, he didn't take the other nails out. He just kept throwing them in, and I found some old, long, uh, like, screws from my father-in-law that had passed on to us over 30 years ago. <laughs> so I thought, oh, that'd be a good use for him before we throw them away. <laughs> But thanks for your program. I learned so much. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. If, okay. If, if you weren't Bye-bye. there, I wouldn't be here. So let's go to Caseyville and into Sam's yard. Hi, Sam. Yeah, hey, I just got a quick question. You've probably talked about this, but I've missed it. Uh, I've got wild honeysuckle, and it is out of control. Are you How talking about are you talking shrub or vine type? I'm I'm afraid it's both at this point. Ooh. Is that possible? Yeah, sure, because they're, they're two different plants. I mean, the vine is, you know, it's a vine, and the shrub is, you know, can be a, turned into a massive shrub. So just realize well, is, that if, you know, they're concerned. It's conser- probably mostly vine. Okay. So basically, you got to find out where it's going into the ground and dig it out. That's the easiest way nope. to do it. Or if you want to, you can, you know... Pull it off whatever it's growing onto because it crawls, unless it's even on the ground, and just you know use a systemic type herbicide and kill it off that way. But you've probably, if you've got big, massive areas of it, it's probably coming up in the you know from the ground in lots of different places. So maybe a combination of digging some, using herbicide on some of the other. Okay, wonderful. Thank you. Yep, and just be careful if you use an herbicide. You know, realize that if you're using systemic. If you get it on things that you don't want to have damaged by the herbicide, it could cause some damage. So just be real careful. Either untwine, okay. you know, the vine from whatever it's growing onto that you want to save. Put a piece of you know, paper bag or something and just paint it on there or spray it on and just keep it off the valuable plant material you don't want to have damaged. What if it gets a little bit on tree bark? Uh, bark is not a problem. It's foliage. It's okay. a real problem. Awesome. Very good. Thank you so much. Yep. And uh, let's stay in Illinois. Go to Fairview Heights, and that's where Joyce lives. Hi, Joyce. Hi. I just got two quick questions. I got clematis, different mm-hmm. kinds. I know there's different groups. Right. But what, what, is there a certain fertilizer I need to give them? or? Well, clematis, yeah, like, have- you know, they like an alkaline soil. Them, lilacs, there's a few things that like an alkaline soil. So for the most part, it, you know, you just want to make sure the numbers are not really high. So if you can find, a, you know, a fertilizer, either a liquid type or a type that's a powder that you can mix up in water, where the first number or all the numbers are 15 or less, that would be ideal. And then feed them from as soon as the new growth starts in the springtime, every month all the way up until, meh, maybe July or so, and then no fertilizer after that. Okay. My other question is, I've been trying to grow butterfly bushes, and I'm having a problem. Um, They do great during the growing season, but then when they come up for the next spring, I have nothing. So I didn't know what could I be doing wrong. So you have nothing comes up from the root system or anything? Yeah, nothing. Really? So it sounds like to me that maybe the way you're planting them – doesn't work so well. So in other words, during there's maybe a slight depression or something. So during the winter time, the roots are getting rotted because butterfly bushes can be killed all the way to the ground, just like crepe myrtle. And so consequently, usually they'll 
yeah, usually they will come back from the root system, from you know, from the ground. But sometimes, some years, they will come back from this, you know, the stems that are above the ground. But if you've had bad luck with it, it sounds like the, you know, the installation is problematic. Oh, okay. Thank you. Yep. I enjoyed listening to you. Well, thanks. Bye. And again, the hole has to be three times the diameter of the root ball. But especially anything that has kind of a grayish foliage, which butterfly bushes do, you want to make sure that it's only about 80% as deep as the root ball. So in other words, the top of the plant root ball, when you buy it and pull it out of the pot, needs to be above the surrounding ground. Okay. Thank you. Yep. And let's go to Barbara in Bridgeton. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Mike. We have a pampas grass in our backyard alongside of our uh, fence, a wrought iron fence by our pool, and it's provided wonderful uh, privacy through the years. We have it cut down each spring, and it comes back, and it's beautiful. This year, we had a cut down, and what's come back are just a few sprigs on one side, and the other all the part on the front is just the brown sticks coming out of the ground. What happened? Basically, this is how they mature. So in other words, these are clump-type growing grasses. So consequently, as time goes on, which you probably didn't notice because it wasn't quite as obvious. This year it made things a little bit more obvious. But the center of the plant dies out. It will never put out any new growth. That by being a clump grower means it is only going to put out new growth on the perimeter. So a lot of times, you know, people ask me when I'm doing a walk and talking in the yard, what do we do with this? You have to dig it up, chop out all the stuff that's brown, and just put back in the green blades or just buy a new one. But it's, you know, it's pretty much shot from the, for the most part. You haven't done anything wrong. Everything has been perfectly fine, and it's just it's a maturing, aging process. Thank you so much for our show. I appreciate you very much. Well, thank you. And now let's go to Joanne and Florissant. Hi, Joanne. Hi, I had uh, monkey grass planted around my patio bed last fall, and the weeds are nearly taking over the monkey grass. And I was walking a while ago, and I heard you advertise something for weeds. Would that work uh, and not kill the monkey grass? Uh, Are these broadleaf weeds, or is this grassy weeds? Uh, they're all kind. Oh, anything grassy you can't do. What you could do is go out there with like a weed be gone type product and spray it on the broadleaf weeds. But, you know, liriope, monkey grass is a narrow blade, so it's in the grass family. So, uh, you know, it could be killed. So I would just go after, you know, you've got a really tough circumstance, let's put it that way. So okay. go, go after the broadleaf weeds and then kind of see what happens as a result from that. And use what did you say? Uh, just a weed be gone type product. Okay, okay. Another quick question. I have a wisteria that's over forty years old that has never bloomed. It takes over the arbor, and it was under the shade of an oak tree for years. And we had to have the tree taken down. I thought it might finally bloom. Is there any way to sh- to shake this thing up or shock it or? <laughs> Uh, it's probably maturity as much as anything, and it sounds like it's very mature. So the shading factor did have something to do with it. Don't do any pruning on it because it it basically flowers in May, so that means it flowers, you know, or it can bloom a little bit later than that. So it flowers on, let's say, buds that were formed last year. Well, it takes over the neighbor's house and everything else. Yeah. So you do have to trim it back. Yeah, if you do prune it, then you're not going to get the flowers. Uh, and how late can I prune it? Uh, basically, you got to do it really quickly. So, oh, okay. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you for this. Sure. And thanks, everybody, for calling in, and certainly thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.